Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So we're going to continue on. It's the final week of the liturgical year. It We just celebrated the Feast of Christ the King on Sunday. And yesterday I had a chance to talk about the glory of the Son of Man, Jesus identifying himself with these divine prerogatives and manifesting his majesty, his divine beauty in a way that is overwhelming, that that's something we ought to be praying for because it's the truth, it's the reality of God. Today I'm going to continue to reflect on Matthew 25 and allow Christ to judge us. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to begin by praying the Word of God, the Gospel, that I'm going to be discussing today more fully, which is that Gospel from Sunday's Mass, Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. A stranger and you welcomed me. Naked and you clothed me. Ill and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothed you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, Whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. A stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Ill, and in prison and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs? He will answer them, Amen. I say to you, what you did not do, 
for one of these least ones you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the gift of your judgment on our lives. And Father, I pray that today your Son, Jesus, our King, would come as ruler, Lord, and as sovereign judge in our lives to help us come to recognize those places in our lives where we fall short, where we settle for less, where we do not allow the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives. Father, give us the grace to recognize all of the call, all of the ways that we are called to see you and respond to you in these least of our brothers. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this is a famous passage. I began reflecting on it yesterday, and this Matthew 25, 31 to 46, I, already, I got all the way through 31, and <laughs> started 32, focusing on the truth that Jesus begins by identifying himself with a figure in the Old Testament that has this heavenly origin, has divine prerogatives like being honored and glorified, and is pointing to the people that would have heard his teaching, the truth that he is from God, that he has attributes of divinity, and that he himself is God. And so pointing to him as himself as the king here is a very challenging passage. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to continue to reflect on this passage and just finish the last thought that flows from yesterday. Did you, do, did you pray that prayer with me yesterday? Uh, did you uh, take that, uh, that invitation to invite Jesus to manifest his divinity, his divine glory, his majestic and heavenly beauty that can overwhelm. And it, it's, it's one of those, I, I mentioned, a very health-bringing, salvific uh, manifestation that God brings into our lives. And so I do encourage you to do that because we so often today live in a world, live in a, in a situation that tends to downplay the bigness of God, the awesomeness of divinity, the immensity of holiness. And, and so asking the Lord who, who obscures that, who covers his power in so many ways so that we are not overwhelmed, we are not completely uh, just just crushed in our in our spirit before the one who is infinite and eternal. That this loving God, that this God who is who is such, who is transcendent, uh, is our loving Father. That He is at the same time, simultaneously, the God who is 
beyond us, infinite and, and eternally beyond us. And yet at the same time, he is our loving father who has drawn close to us in tenderness and invited us to share in this miracle of, of life and in this supernatural wonder of everlasting life as God's own child. This, this again, shakes us loose from the, uh, the ordinariness of our lives, and it can really shake up the concept of what we value, what we consider important in our lives. So ultimately, what's important is what? Honoring this God who gave us life, honoring this God who gave us new life, honoring this God who has beckoned us to live with him forever by understanding what it is he asks of us. And so in the remainder of my reflections, I'm going to take up the context that this is in and begin to unfold the content that is presented by Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew. The context is the Gospel of Matthew, written to a community of followers of Jesus, a community of Christians, those who accept Jesus as the Christ, and who have come principally from a Jewish background. So he's writing to a principally Jewish community, and I won't go into all the details of, of how uh, you know, biblical scholars know that, um, but to point to the historical situation of those who would have read this text, one of the insights that comes out of biblical studies is that many of the, or there was a tendency among those who were Jewish and accepted Jesus as the Messiah when the gospel was proclaimed, um, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead and, and the coming of the Spirit and the church is founded and the gospel is now being proclaimed, the Jewish people who converted to accept Jesus as Christ and Lord could have believed and had sometimes a tendency to believe that they would be saved simply because they were now they were now part of the church. They were these Jewish followers of Christ. They were Christians coming from this Jewish background. And when I say that they just believed that, or they had this attitude, this approach to their life of faith that said, well, I'm, I'm part of the church. I've been baptized. Uh, I've accepted that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and well, now I'm good to go. I'm, uh, you know, I can punch my ticket. I'm going to make it to heaven. And this gospel is a radical challenge to that. This gospel is a radical challenge to the idea that once you're saved, once you're in, you're good. You're going to make it. You're going to get to heaven. And so if you look at this gospel carefully, if you can kind of Again, maybe let's call, it, let's call it shake loose the familiarity you have with it. One of the things that becomes, uh, comes like right to the forefront is that the people who are saved are not identified in any kind of visible way as people who are 
members of the church. They're, they're not identified as Christians. They're identified as people who have accomplished a certain set of deeds. Are you, are you tracking with me? Uh, and, and this is so, it's such an interesting thing because when we like, move right up to the modern day, and we identify, you know, we talk with people who are um, non-Catholic Christians. One of the themes that often shows up is, well, salvation is by faith. We're saved by faith through grace, and not by any works that we accomplish. And I, I, I don't want to say I have a smile on my face. I smirk, but I, I present to them this gospel, and I say, let's take a look at this teaching of Jesus where he identifies himself as coming back at the end of time to judge all the nations, and let's see who's saved. Are the ones that are welcomed to share in eternal life, are they the ones who Jesus, the the king, comes and says, oh, I saw that moment when you committed your life to me and you accepted me as your Lord and Savior. Come and enjoy your master's reward. There's no reference to any profession of faith. And we could we could take a look at this in, in a Catholic vein, too, and say, it doesn't say, oh, you were baptized and, and fully initiated into the church, confirmed, received Holy Communion, you went to church every Sunday, and you lived in a visible way as a Catholic. Come on in. Welcome to heaven. There's, there's no mention directly to this idea that it's through the faith you have in Jesus Christ as king that is what is absolutely required to get to heaven. In fact, it's doing deeds. It's doing these good works. Feeding the hungry. Right, clothing the naked, give, giving drink to the thirsty, visiting, welcoming the stranger, uh, taking care of the sick in the prison, and visiting the prisoners. Right? These deeds are the basis for the decision between who's saved and who's damned. That's, that's a pretty big deal. That's a really big deal that somehow salvation in this gospel First blush, simple, clean, clear, plain reading is that those who do these good works get to heaven, and those who don't do these good works go to hell. That's the simple, plain reading of the text. But it doesn't end with a simple, plain, literal reading of the text. We have to understand the context we have to understand other layers that show up when we explore this text more fully. And so the first, and, and really the most important, well, let me say one other thing about the, the, one who gets, the ones who get saved and the ones who are damned. The king says, you know, you did all these things for me, or you didn't do these things for me. And both sides said, well, what are you talking about? I never saw you in the people that I was serving, or I never saw you in the people that I avoided serving. If it was you, if I knew it was you, I would have done it. And so even those who are saved, it doesn't 
even directly point to the idea that they are saved because they've done good works that are intimately connected to the profession of faith that they have. It's not at a simple, plain reading that meaning. So, all right, this brings me to the wider context. If the plain reading doesn't imply faith, what's the not-so-plain context that will help us get beyond what, what appears to be a bit of a puzzle, a bit of an enigma to us? Well, I'll tell you in a minute what it is, and hopefully that'll help, and then we'll continue to explore this text more fully. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Today I'm reflecting on uh, the reality of our life of faith in, insofar as it is connected to, well, the ultimate things, heaven and hell, and what really matters, and how do we live a life that is honoring to God and the call that he has for our lives? And I am talking about uh, this passage from Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 46. It's the Son of Man returns. He returns as king with the angels, sits on his throne and judges the nations, separates the sheep from the goats, and then judges these folks as being saved or damned based on their deeds. Not visibly, first of all, plainly, simply based on their faith. So what gives? Does faith matter? Does a profession of faith in Christ matter? And if it does, where does that say that in this text? And I think this is a real unfortunate, it's a real puzzle for, uh, for, for Protestants who say you're saved by faith when you point to this text, and you're like, oh, where's the faith there? Don't see any faith there at all. I only see works. And it's not to say that Christ is saying you're saved by your works here. It is that faith works. Faith works. It's our faith in Christ that manifests itself in these types of deeds. How do we know that? Well, that's where the context comes in. The gospel was written and addressed to those who are already believers. This gospel was written for those who are already believers. And so when this text, this teaching of Jesus is presented to those who are already members of the church, already accept faith in Jesus Christ, they already profess a sense of, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior and King in my life. If that's the context, that's the underlying base of of uh, upon a foundation upon which this text is is now going to be spoken, those are the ones that are hearing this. And what's happening when they hear this? Well, what they're hearing is a big uh oh. There's a big uh oh here, folks. And the big uh oh is, it ain't enough to just be a member of the church. It ain't enough just to be going to church. It ain't enough just to be saying, I identify as a Catholic and I do Catholic stuff. No true, profound faith in Jesus Christ who is acknowledged as king in my life. He is acknowledged as Lord over how I live my life is going to manifest itself, is going to show up 
in my life in a way that says, oh, if you, Lord, are the Lord within me, then I'm going to be moved. I'm going to be prompted. I'm going to have an interior impulse. I'm going to be driven from the inside spiritually to take action with regards to these kinds of people and situations that I'll encounter in my life. I must put flesh on my faith if I'm going to be a faithful Catholic. And if I don't, if I omit, did you hear that word, omit, this part of my life of faith, there's more at stake in that than I realize. It might not be a, a matter of, well, I guess I could have done better. Or, no, oh well, I hope other people picked up the slack. I mean, I, I, I tried to do my part. I didn't really quite realize how important it was. I, no one really ever told me. Okay. <laughs> all, those, all those excuses go away today. If they, if they were part of your life, they go away today. Because we can no longer, after today, say, oh, okay, I did not realize that being a Catholic, a professing person of faith that accepts Jesus as Lord, that says, through Christ our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, that it implies that there will be an inner drive for me to, here's this word now, give of myself, my time, my energy, and my money sacrificially on behalf of those who are in need. Those who are in need and who are somehow around my life and are drawn into the sphere of my life where the Lord can say, I have blessed you so abundantly that if you dam up those blessings within yourself, you just might find yourself damned. But those blessings are meant to flow through you so that it will be a heavenly blessing to others through you. And for you, it will mean the blessing of heaven. That's what's at stake here. And that's not me talking. That's Jesus talking. That's Jesus giving this teaching about how crucial it is for us to realize what it actually means when we say that we acknowledge Jesus as King and as Lord in our own lives here, now, today. Today, today. How I'm living today, what I do today. So let's, let's now dig into the details of this because we might just get surprised who it is that Jesus is having us pay attention to in this gospel that's 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years old, when he teaches the way he teaches, right? Yesterday I had a chance to unfold just that first verse about the fact that Jesus is the glorified, the, the, the glorified son of God who is the king of the universe, now, he's coming to judge all the nations. Okay, do you ponder that? 
do you think about that? That what you do in your life matters. It's going to be evaluated. It's going to be judged. And that's the most, that's the most important final exam you'll ever take in your life. Is the final exam of your life. Okay. So let's take a look at the passage. And it says that he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. All right? Why does a shepherd separate sheep and goats? And there's several reasons, but as it is associated here, there are at least a couple of elements to this distinction between the sheep and the goats that would lead them to be separated. The first is, regarding the food they would eat. So sheep have a much more narrow uh, food uh, uh, source of, of sustenance, food choice, that they will be able to safely eat. They want to eat the, the low, they want to eat grass, they want to eat a certain kind of grass that is um, close to the ground. Um, goats, if you know anything about goats, uh, not that I know a lot about goats, <laughs> I can read this stuff, is that goats will eat just about anything. And in fact, they can ingest quite a, a wide variety of things, even things that are not going to be healthy to other animals, things that would be poisonous to sheep, goats can even take in. And so if you have the sheep and the goats hanging out together, guess what the sheep just might be willing to do? They might start just hanging out with the goats and start following the goats in their choice of food. And in doing that, they just might end up hurting themselves and even damaging themselves and even end up dying. And so sheep hanging around with goats could have a lot at stake in it because of the bad influence of the goats on the sheep. Oh, and by the way, that's the second main facet that I'll draw attention to here, and there could be others, is that sheep are more docile. Sheep tend to stay in their group, and they tend to be more easily led than goats. Goats are a bit more aggressive, a bit more independent, less easily controlled, more difficult to corral, and um, you know more independent-minded and are willing to uh, be more uh, aggressive. Okay, so now if we start thinking about ourselves, <laughs> if we start thinking about our own lives, in relationship to Christ as king, and we start thinking about what it means to be a follower of his, what's going to be a more suitable animal metaphor, a, a more suitable animal to symbolize our own following of Christ? Well, it's obvious. We'll be far better suited if we are sheep than if we are goats. And when you think about the goat-like behavior that we display in our lives, it's what are we doing? We're aggressively 
bucking the system. We are feeding upon stuff that is not good for us, that is not healthy for us. We can be aggressive in our attempts to be corralled by the good shepherd in our lives. We can be uh, someone that is attempting to slip through and break free and be independent rather than be more docile, be with others in the herd, and to follow the voice of the shepherd wherever he would lead. And that, that's a very powerful thing for us to think about. How docile am I versus how independent am I? How willing am I to be led to hear the voice of the Lord and follow the voice of the Good Shepherd, versus being more independent, consuming what I want, and not being willing to to really get in line. And so, this brings up what the, the this this sets the context for what follows. Okay, I want you to think about that now. Hold on to that. Am I willing to be like? the sheep. Because if I'm going to be, somehow, if I'm willing to be like the sheep, there will be a manifestation of that. How do I know I'm exhibiting behavior that is, I'm just going to stay with this one concept, docile. Docile means not just teachable, but it means movable. It means willing to be led. It means being receptive it means being available to be prompted to go in a direction. Are you tracking with me here? If Christ is Lord, what does he expect of his follower? He expects an availability, a receptivity, a willingness to be led, a following after the prompting of the one who says, come this way, I'm shepherding you in this direction. That's what the Lord is expecting of his followers. Well, in what direction, in, in, in what directions will the Lord be leading us? Will he be prompting us? Will he be asking us to be available? Well, there are different levels of receptivity. Different levels of receptivity. This comes from a teaching that I was given Back in 1984, ta-da, no, the spring of 85, there we go, uh, in the, uh, so that would be the spring semester of 1985, my junior year in high school, I took a class called The Human Person by Father Mark Noonan, you hear me talk about him over the years, and he unfolded the meaning of receptivity. This idea of being docile, receptivity, as having multiple levels. And the first level is the level of neediness, where we just notice me, please, let me, let me do things to get attention. And there's a, there's a neediness, there's a brokenness to it. And it's basically saying, receive me, receive me. And that's very childish. It's very immature. And it's broken. And when you see it in an adult, when you see it, frankly, in a high school, uh, young man or woman, it's, it's almost embarrassing, right? It's almost embarrassing. And 
I know I feel sad when I see someone who is doing things out of this throbbing neediness to say, please give me some attention. Notice me. So we're called at, at, at our earliest stage to, to move from that immature understanding of receptivity to a more mature understanding. And the first way that that manifests itself is the, uh, the act of being able to acknowledge someone in a way that says, I accept that. So let me give you, um, let me give you a, um, an example of that. So when someone says to you, hey, you did an amazing job, or boy, you've got a wonderful smile, or wow, uh, what you just did is, that's a beautiful example of Christ-likeness. Right? When someone affirms you, compliments you, what do you say? Do you say, oh, no, 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 that's not me. Or do you just simply say, well, thank you. That's the next level of receptivity. But there's more. And I'll tell you about it in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm reflecting on this gospel from Matthew 25. Christ comes, Christ is teaching about, Jesus is teaching about his coming back at the end of time as the son of man, as this divine figure who judges the nations as king. He is Lord over all. And he is calling us, his followers, to have an act of faith, to say, I not only have faith in you, where I accept you into my life as king and Lord, but that I'll function or I'll live my life after the manner of a sheep rather than a goat. I'll be docile. I'll be willing to be led. And that concept of receptivity is what we're discussing here, rather than the um, the aggressive tendency to eat what I want or to consume what I want, even if it's not good for me, and potentially uh, disturb the, the peace of the herd and to lead others astray, that like the goats. So we're reflecting on the meaning of being receptive, being docile. And I was unfolding this as having three, as having four different levels. The first was that needy, broken level, receive me. The second is when we come to be able to accept as an act the idea of being receptive or docile, being responsive in the moment. And I was talking about the example, I gave the example of uh, receiving a compliment and you're able to say thank you in that act of receiving. And the, um, the, the, this can also be true with, with regards to requests. So when we have the legitimate authority in our lives, our parents or others that are over us, they make a request and we are receptive, we're docile, we're willing to be led, we do what is asked of us. But there's something deeper, that more personal, deeper quality of, of docility when it comes to the Lord takes us to that next level. And the next level is where we don't just have an act, but we have a receptivity. It's a capacity that grows in us 
where our natural tendency, right, that forged habit that is carved in us is that we have a receptivity to receive, where we have this ongoing capacity where we're willing to be docile, where we just have this willingness to, uh, to be available and to be led as the Lord prompts. And that's something that is a maturing of our faith. And so we, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord day to day, in addition to communicating to God in praise and thanks and petition and intercession and striving to do his will as we know it according to conscience and and honor the the law of the church, the law of God and the Ten Commandments and and the law of the wider community around us. Um, All of these ways that we are being receptive, there is the more interior spiritual relational receptivity the relational capacity to be led to do or to say or to avoid things that the Lord is asking of us. And that level of receptivity is, is basic discipleship. And so that has to do with, oh, you know what? It's really not honoring of God for me to spend my money on that. Instead, I'm going to spend it on this. It, I, the Lord is prompting me right now to give more of my time and energy over here doing this activity versus doing that activity. Okay, so that level of discipleship, that's a, a greater maturing. But the deepest level of receptivity, this is now Matthew 25 level receptivity, the most mature Christian receptivity, is not the receptivity to receive like that, Lord, you're asking this of me and I'm going to do it. I'm receiving this command, this prompting, or I'm receiving these, these good gifts from you. But the receptivity to being received. Okay, let me say that again because that's a, that's a level that's really, I don't, I don't know anybody who talks about this. The receptivity to being received. Not just the receptivity to receive but to being received. And that is what shows up here in Matthew 25. Are we willing not just to undertake an action to go feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, to visit the imprisoned as an act, but rather, do we have the willingness to be received into relationship with the poor? with the broken, with those in need. Uh, do you have that openness in your life? Do you have that, that, that willingness in your life? Does the, does the Lord have the space in your life? Does he, does he have the room in your life to be able to say to you, I'm going to move you into relationship with these folks over here who lack something, who are broken in a fundamental way, who are really hurting, who have a desperate need. I'm going to move you into relationship with them, and I want you to have a basic capacity in your life to be willing to be led into relationships where I'm going to be pouring out through you into their lives. That's what the Lord is asking in Matthew 25. Are we receptive Are we open, available, willing to be led into relationships? Well, relationships with who? Well, let's let's take a look. Because there's there's more here than meets the contemporary American eye. (laughs) 
it meets, there's more here than is immediately at the surface visible to the eyes of a person in 2023 reading the descriptors of who these people are. Well, let's take a look. So, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Those two are connected to the next one, which is, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. You've probably heard that at the time of Jesus and in that part of the world, there was a fundamental duty of hospitality, of showing hospitality to strangers. So when we talk about a stranger and you welcomed me, we're not talking about the modern notion of stranger danger, someone that's unknown to you at the park comes up and starts engaging you in conversation. Jesus is not saying, oh, we have a moral duty and a God-given call to just have a a wide open willingness to engage in conversations with people who are strangers. No, the stranger here is the one who's a foreigner, the one who doesn't have a clan, a family, a community where he is known and welcomed and has a place to be taken care of. When a person is cut off, isolated, is by himself or herself, back at that time, and they had to move about, well, they were vulnerable. They were vulnerable to robbers. They were vulnerable to those who, um, who wished that person no good thing, but only ill. And, and so they were in a a situation of being fundamentally in need of someone who will say, I'll welcome you here. You have a, a place to come here. And when you come here, I will treat you. I will welcome you like a family member. I'll wash your feet if your feet are dirty from the travel. I will give you some food. I will give you some drink. Ah, food and drink, hungry and thirsty. I'll give you a place at table. Do you remember in the book of Genesis what happens when Abraham is there and all of a sudden the Lord shows up with two angels? And what does what does Abraham do? He welcomes him. He welcomes the stranger. Come, sit. Let me give you some food. Let me give you some drink. This is a safe place for you to come. There's no hostility here. You're not threatened by being here. There's no, there's not a no trespassing sign here. No, you're in a condition of being vulnerable, of being in a situation of not having the capacity to take care of yourself, of having a place of, of shelter, of, of food, of comfort, of having basic needs met. I got you. I got you covered. That's a striking message. More on this in a minute.
Hey, welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you. Isn't that funny? If you're listening to this program when it, uh, was, uh, when it aired on the radio, uh, I went from talking about um, helping strangers, helping those who uh, are away from home and are looking for a safe place to come and be received, be welcomed. <laughs> and and then I go into uh, a message where I am talking about the work I do as a real estate agent. And boy, a lot of it really does have to do with that kind of ministry, honestly. The ministry of helping folks who are feeling like strangers to find a place where they can be at home, where they can recover and flourish once again, where they can get a safe place as a refuge, or the ability to be able to make a move from where they are to go to their next place that they then can call home. So well, I, didn't, I didn't even think of that. But, um, well, there we have it. So Jesus is... is He's giving a very challenging message. If you're a follower of his, and you're actually going to follow his promptings, you will be led into relationships with those who are strangers. Those who are in, uh, sorry, again, stop, don't think of the 2023 meaning of the word stranger. With those who are homeless, those who are broken and have a, a lack of capacity to find a place of belonging. They don't feel like they belong. Now, we're, how can that show up? How about this? Let's start small. Let's start simple. I didn't say easy, but I said simple. Coffee and donuts. Coffee and donuts. Or party, Christmas party. Okay, you got some parties coming up. You're going to go into a party where you know a lot of people, and you're going to see that one, oh, that woman, that man, that couple, and it's like, oh, Lord Jesus, you are not calling me to go be with them. I want to go hang out with the friends that I enjoy, the friends that welcome me, the friends that sort of, uh, you know, laugh with me, and, and I simply have a great time with them. Those are the ones that I'm going to hang around with. Those people over there that are looking a bit awkward don't quite know how to fit in. Maybe they're new. Maybe they're just, honestly, a little bit broken or struggling or not, maybe just not that enjoyable. You know what? Am I receptive to being received into relationship with them? Am I open to being led into a conversation with them? where I make them feel welcome, where I realize that it's a gift that the Lord has given me to be able to take some of the time that I have at Coffee and Donuts or at this party or at this social gathering to go be with them. I want to be open, so open, that when I go and hang out with them, there is nothing but a sense of, hey, it is Great to see you or meet you, make your acquaintance, talk with you, be able to um, uh, connect with you, all of that. What's the spirit that we give off? Are we willing to be led into that kind of relationship? That, that's a person who 
doesn't feel like they belong, how do I help them belong? Now, that's just a first really, really easy one. If you want to go to the next level, then I encourage you to look for natural connecting points with ministries and nonprofit organizations that are serving the hungry, the homeless, the ones who struggle to belong. So I think in our local area, Family Promise of Spokane is a group that Carrie and I have supported for, uh, well, a couple of years now at least. And um, I think of other ministries like the Missionaries of Charity that are, they go right out into the streets, as you know. They go right out to be among those who are homeless and provide them with a warm meal and other uh, basic needs. And as you know, Mother Teresa was one who lived from this gospel. You did it to me. Those words of Jesus that she spoke so powerfully, the five fingers of service. When you think of serving, it's you did it to me. Those are the five fingers or the four fingers and the thumb. (laughs) That when you're serving, you're serving Jesus. You know, Jesus, when did we serve you when we were serving? You know, when did we serve the king, the glorious king that's on the throne, the one who's sitting over the throne of the whole universe? Wait a minute, that was the one that was hiding in the, in the distressing disguise of the person who is, is struggling to belong and is broken in all kinds of ways, right? Let's continue on because I want to get to, the, to this other group. Naked and you clothed me, ill and you cared for me, in prison and you visited me. Okay, now, let's again not get hung up in 2023, the year 2023 terms, or contemporary terms, for what it means to be in prison and receiving a visitor. You might think, oh, well, well, there's a real act of kindness. Those people in prison, you know, they did something bad. They got sent to prison, and they're probably pretty lonely. They probably don't have a lot of people visiting them. Let me go you know, to join a, some kind of uh, project where I can go visit those that are in prison. That is not the meaning of Matthew 25. Prison in the time of Jesus was a terrifying place to be because prisoners were not fed. Prisoners were not clothed. Prisoners were not taken care of if they got sick. And so prisoners, if they did not have a group of people committed to visiting them every day, they would get sick and potentially die because of the lack of care, concern, and basic needs being taken care of. And so being in prison, that was a terrifying and dramatic condition to be in. Because, of course, you're stuck. You're stuck. You can't go anywhere. You're in prison. And so what did you need? You were desperately in need of someone to come and visit you every day, more than once a day, 
to be able to bring you food, to be able to have a chance to interact with you socially, to be able to find out, do you need anything from me? Do you, do you need a, a change of clothes? Do you need something to uh, help keep you warm? Are, are you sick? What can I do to help you get better and, and be properly nourished? Uh, you're in prison. You're, you're absolutely in need of having others in the community come and visit you. Oh, and, and by the way, if you were among those that came and visited a prisoner, that was a social curse. That was a way of basically condemning yourself in the eyes of society because you're, uh, you're hanging out with prisoners. So what does Jesus say your salvation depends on? Oh, you who identify yourself as a member of the church, as part of God's people, as part of God's people who have been so blessed that you acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, the Lord and the King. Well, you know what? That Messiah, Lord and King has something that he asks of you. No, something he requires of you. Something, in fact, that is so big that if you were to say, I'm your King, great. Go visit prisoners. Go put at stake your reputation. Go put at stake your social standing. Go put at stake and invest your time, your money, your connection, your networks, your abilities to go serve those who literally depend on you for their lives. Wow. Oh, and by the way, if you don't, you do realize that the one that you didn't go visit and take care of, that was me. Whoa, 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 Lord, Lord, if it was you, I, I would go visit you in a heartbeat. I mean, Lord, if, if I knew it was you, you know, hiding like behind a mask, like I would have been there trying to break you out. <laughs> I would have been there night and day sitting at your feet. I, I, no question. Yeah, that's not what the Lord's asking. Is he God in your life? Is he really Lord? Where are the boundaries to what he can ask of you? Where are the limits of what he can require of you? Do, do you really feel stretched at all, honestly? Do, do you, any of you feel stretched at all to say, oh, you know what, I am pouring my life out. I, I have set aside my comfort, my ease. I've set aside the, the easy lifestyle that I have available to me so that I can be of greater service to the stranger, and the imprisoned. Because, you know what? I have to. Because Jesus is king. And what's at stake in this? Not just their well-being. Not just that the stranger feels like they belong and that the prisoner gets the daily sustenance. No, what's at stake in this? My salvation. My own vital relationship with Jesus Christ is dependent upon my willingness to be led by him into relationships with those that I'm not naturally drawn to, not naturally attuned to, but that's what he's asking of me. God bless us. And join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.